Well, welcome everybody once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your host, Chris Honholtz, joining you on this 14th of January, 2023. This will be the first recorded episode of the year because last week, well, we appreciate your guys' patience. Poor Rich got sick, and um, while he didn't have the the uh, Sand People Star Wars barking cough that he had earlier last year, uh, he still was pretty pretty feeling um, pretty much feeling trashed, you know. And so we appreciate the prayers. I know a lot of you were made aware of that. We tried to share it on Twitter and stuff, and uh, appreciate your guys praying for him. He's still he's gotten a lot better, but he's still kind of um, just a little torqued up from it. And so he can't be with us here tonight, so you're stuck with me. And uh, we always appreciate that you guys still tune in, even when both of us can't be here. This program might be a little bit shorter tonight. I uh, don't want to drone on too long <laughs> for you guys uh, when it's just a solo. But uh, I appreciate you guys taking the time to listen. going to go over a few different topics tonight, and I think that are kind of connected together. And uh, I, I hope they're beneficial to you. always want to remind you we are part of the Christian podcast community. That is a community of like-minded brethren who are solid in their understanding of Scripture, and they are all have all come together for the purpose of, you know, basically being able to help one another, promote one another, and be able to have a kind of a one-stop shop, so to speak, of a variety of Christian podcasting that you can tune into. So, I always want to encourage you to go check that out. Go to the Christian Podcast Community. You can just pop it into the Google machine and you'll find it. It's part of the Striving for Eternity Ministries. Andrew Rapport has done a great job, he and the team over there, putting this together. And we've said this before, but if you're a new listener, I want to remind you that getting into the Christian Podcast Community isn't simply, hey, I'm a Christian, I'm a po- I have a podcast, let's join up. They're, they literally do go through an application process. They actually vet the programs that come in. And, and Rich and I have known Andrew for years, years and years now. And uh, we still went through that vetting process. Uh, you know, Andrew's own co-host from Rap Report, who wanted to start his own, still had to go through that. So it's one of those things that we try to assure you that if you're going over there, you have a pretty good uh, reason for trusting the content. You may find something you like, you may find something you disagree with, but ultimately you're going to be encouraged to know that everybody there has, has a pretty sound doctrinal statement of faith and uh, we're working in conjunction with one another. But again, I want to encourage you to go check that out as we always appreciate that you guys make time for us. Find some some of these other podcasters as well. That's probably unusual to hear from a podcast program. We 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 are not the type that want to, well, it's all about this program and all about us. We want to be able to encourage you to be as filled as you can be with, with as many resources as are, that are available. Now, we always want to remind you, by the way, that a podcast is not church. So you need to be plugged into a local church. I know that there are some of you that have some very unique circumstances that make it very difficult, if not impossible, to physically go to church. But the rest of you, you need to be plugged into a local church. So make sure you're getting in there, getting fed by the pastor, submitting to their uh, their authority per scripture, and then learning and growing and serving. That is your primary place of edification and education. Go to church. That said, if you can find podcasts or audiobooks or anything uh, that is a sound Christian um, resource that you can use to 
plus up, so to speak, to come alongside as a secondary or tertiary tool, then we want to encourage you to do that. You know, we like having listeners. We love having you guys being with us. But we also want you to make sure that you're you're making use of the resources that are out there so that you're getting a broader understanding of Scripture, not from just two knuckleheads who, you know, we've been doing this for a little while, but that doesn't mean we know everything, and there are a lot of good podcasters who can help round out that uh, your understanding of scripture so where we might talk about topics of the day we might talk about uh, water cooler discussions how you approach that from a scriptural perspective or day-to-day issues in your life we want you to also consider going to those podcasts that are going to really build up you build you up in theology that are going to build you up in sermons that are going to build you up in you know some podcasts talk about you know uh Old dead guys from the past. Some podcasts talk about book reviews. There's so many resources. So I want you to go check that out. Don't feel like you have to be beholden to anyone. This is your podcasting time. This is your listening time. Make use of it in a way that best benefits you so that you serve the Lord. So again, Christian Podcast Community, encourage you to go check that out. Also want to remind you to check out our, our website, slavetothekeen.com. That's where you can keep up to date on newest programs, any uh, written material that we put out. It is how you can contact us. It's how you find our social media, etc. And it's a place where you can support the program. So go check out slavetothekeen.com. Sign up to be a follower of the website because, hey, we just found out today that uh, you know um, Elon Musk, for all his... Uh, talk about being a advocate for free speech and how things like uh, Twitter amnesty were going to happen. Well, our good friend G- Gabe Hughes over at When We Understand the Text was informed, even though he didn't go try to reapply to get his his particular Twitter account reactivated, they voluntarily told him, oh, by the way, we won't be reactivating you. Um, so... D- Gabe had basically written a, uh, a statement on there about what the end of all those who pursue a life of unrepentant sin is, and of course we know that the wages of sin is death. He wrote that. A lot of people wanted to uh, talk about the fact that he was threatening people, which of course he was not. He was warning them what the uh, consequences will be. And lo and behold, wouldn't you know it, uh, the the Twitter under the previous owners, oh yeah, you're you're promoting uh, hate speech, you're banned permanently. Well, I guess Elon's new Twitter doesn't care for that too much either so uh he's no longer ever going to get that opportunity back and as far as we know poor phil johnson still can't get his account unlocked unless he confesses that he posted something bad which he will not do because he's not going to lie so uh the reason i bring that up is social media in some places can be better some places be worse but the, the bias of the world is still there and so it won't be long i think before we begin to see the overt biases and the uh, efforts at censorship again will once again raise their head up it's just a matter of time so uh, that's why we encourage you go sign up and be a follower of the website because if we ever do lose access to those things we want you to be able to find the latest updated information about the show so I encourage you to do that as well. Okay, so I won't drone on too much tonight. I appreciate your your patience as we go through those initial things. We it's it's one of those things that helps people maintain contact with the show, uh, follow what's going on, and be able to provide uh, you know information or ideas or feedback. So we want to always put that out there ahead of time. Now, with all that said, so what are we talking about tonight? Well, let's kind of touch on what we were just saying. Gabe Hughes had posted 
uh, and it's not, I'm not going to talk about his, what his post, but it kind of leads into what some things I've been seeing go on. One of the issues that's been going on is if you've been on social media, you may be seeing the ramping up of the term fake Christian used by a lot of worldly leftist kind of left-leaning pseudo-Christianese deny Christian Christianity altogether people who want to come after Christians for holding to shock of shocks to what the Bible says. And that kind of goes back to what happened with uh, Pastor Gabe last year. He stated what clearly scripture teaches that the wages of sin is death. He made no threats, but he made it clear that if you live in unrepentant sin, and one of those things that we see going on in the in our culture today, in fact, the most predominant sin that we're talking about is sexual immorality. Uh, the whole LGBTQ plus narrative, I, I don't, they keep changing the lettering, so I'm going to stick with what I, the last one I remember. I think it might be QIA plus, but I'm not, or, or QIA2S plus, I, see, I can't remember them all. But sexual immorality in scripture is very, it's very clear. Those who live in unrepentant sexual immorality, those who reject the, the design of the creator, those who try to affirm that they themselves are God and can decide for themselves their sexuality, their gender, etc. Those individuals who have rebelled against God in, this, in that ongoing unrepentant fashion, they face the second death. That is eternity in the lake of fire. And for that, he was permanently banned and now under, under Elon's Twitter, still permanently banned from Twitter. And he can't, he can't post on there. I would, however, by the way, if you are uh, you know, appreciative of the work that Gabe Hughes does, go look up When We Understand the Text. I believe it's at WWUTT um, on Twitter. You can follow there and you can at least get some content that his, uh, his ministry is putting out. And you'll be able to be keep up to date with what's going on with Pastor Gabe and the ministry. So I encourage you to check that out. Um, but what is that? How does that apply to the term fake Christian? It's one of these things that we're seeing an awful lot of. And what's happening is you're seeing virtually anything that is that the biblical Christian stands for. The world at large is saying, "Oh, well, you're a fake Christian." So let me give you an example. Um, earlier today, I think it might even have been last night, Megan Basham of Daily Wire had been online and she had shared, uh, Sharon, my English is terrible all of a sudden. She had shared uh, what somebody had posted about a woman who had been a hunt, who was involved in hunting. And this woman, you know, a lot of hunters, look, if you're a hunter, uh, you post, you know, your kill. If you got a you got a good buck, you got a good doe, you, you post your kill. If you got a stack full of ducks, you, you post your kill. You, you you show what you've done. Why? Just like somebody who builds something and has an accomplishment. You built, let's say you built a deck for your back porch, um, you're gonna take a picture of that. If you've built a car from scratch or, or rebuilt a, a classic car, you can take a picture of it. Hunters do the same thing. There's nothing unusual about this. This has been going on for a very long period of time. Well, an individual by the name of Fiona Moriarty posted, shared that picture, you know, took a screenshot of it from Instagram. And her post was, this is the MAGA murder cult, brutally murdering innocent animals for clout and Instagram likes. Demented savages. Jesus would never. And now the, the final hashtag is fake Christians. Now, Megan Bashan did a good, uh, made a good point of, of pointing out that Jesus was not a vegetarian. He ate meat, ate fish, killed fish, and you know, uh, you know, uh, was part of the normal dietary 
uh, you know, partaking in the normal diet of the Jews of that day. They ate lamb, they ate beef. Um, there was nothing about that that was evil. And later, of course, we know that Christ says that what goes into the body is not what defiles you. It's actually what comes from the heart, you know, what comes out. In other words, your heart is what defiles you. So the scriptures say, thus he declares all foods clean. And later we see with uh, the vision with Peter when he tells him to rise, kill, and eat as he brings down the, the sheet of animals uh, filled with animals that was full of clean and unclean animals. He says, do not call unclean what the Lord has called clean. Now, this was a to point to something broader picture, which is the Gentiles were now going to hear the gospel and be redeemed by God. They were not unclean in the sense that they could not be saved. Um, therefore, the picture of the animals being, you know, declared all clean for consumption was a picture of pointing to the Gentiles being included into, uh, into the church. But in the same way, Christ had no problem with the killing and you know, uh, and eating of animals. So where does Fiona Moriarty get this idea that uh, we are fake Christians if, uh, and Jesus would never? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact, well, you're posting the picture, so what? You know, posting the picture means nothing. You know, the, the display of, you know, the graphic display of uh, sheep and cattle that were killed every year in, in Israel during the time of the temple was seen by all. There was nothing about the picture of itself that was somehow evil. And the fact that this particular individual engaged in a hunt, was successful in her hunt, got a deer, showed a picture of what they were able to, to do with it, uh, or that they, they had gotten bagged their, their target. There's nothing in that that is sinful in itself. And in a, you know just some follow-on discussion with uh, Miss Basham, and in fact, I think it was Gabe Hughes who had also responded, I, uh, I made a, a comment about it's very interesting, the whole use of the fake Christian term, how it's growing. And Megan Basham did made a, a, very, a very great observation in that she said that it appeared that this was something that was being used by leftists and, uh, and compromising professing Christians, people like David French, who could then say, oh, no, no. We're not like those Christians. We're the real Christians. We're the true Christians, not those Christians. Like, you know, for example, we've talked about David French on this program before, who has taken it upon himself to attack, you know, conservative minded, you know, politically conservative minded Christians for voting in ways he just absolutely abhors. And so attacks them with regularity while still holding up his Christian title as a, as a political conservative Christian writer. And I think she's got a great point. The issue of the hashtag fake Christian, and I, you'll see it a lot if you engage in any political discussion, any social, um, socially minded, socio-political topic online, and you hold to a conservative and a biblically uh, minded position, say for sexuality, you're immediately going to be called a fake Christian by any leftist that wanders into the conversation. And I've been called that multiple times. And I, I and my response to her, and, I, and I, I think is an accurate one in my, in my mind, is what we're watching is this is an attempt by the world to enforce its belief about what is acceptable practice of religion. Um, you may remember that under, you know, that, well, let's go back to the Second Amendment or First Amendment. We uh, we have the right to the exercise of our faith. We have the right 
to freedom of speech. We have the right to freedom of religion. We have a right to act and live. I mean, Congress shall make, excuse me, that the First Amendment provides that Congress make no law respecting the establishment of religion or protect or prohibiting its free exercise. Okay, um, specifically what it says uh, is, let me find it again. I just had it here in front of me. Um, <laughs> I had it and then I hit something and it ran away. So Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment, excuse me, establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people to peaceably assemble. Note that it does say peaceably assemble, um, BLM, Antifa, anyway, uh, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. So the government cannot make a law that establishes a particular denomination or a particular religion as the religion of the land, but it cannot, it also cannot prohibit the exercise thereof. You cannot prohibit the exercise of a person's religion. Under the Obama administration, um, it was, uh, they tried to, you know, say, well, we can't prohibit worship. They tried to, to narrow that phrase down a little bit. Now, that's what the, not what the Constitution says. They were trying to say, look, your, your, your religion stays within the four walls of your church. And there is an argument that has been going on for a while now, and I think this is the newest iteration of it, is that, well, your right uh, to exer exercise your religion stops when it infringes upon another person's rights. Well, okay. I grant you that if your religion, say, believed in human sacrifices, you couldn't take someone off the street and sacrifice them on a on an altar to your 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 false god. I grant you that. However, what are we watching happen? Where we've watched for quite a while now the multiplication of rights. Right? You know, it was things like the the right to abortion. There was never a right per se. It just was declared as such because under Roe v. Wade, that, well, there's a right to privacy, so therefore we can't get involved in that and you can't make laws that prohibit abortion. And that was always, there was never a specific right to abortion, but it was always claimed to have a right to abortion. And then under the Obama administration, again, there was the right to health care. And so the government had to provide it if it was a right, you know. Uh, if you have a right to health care, if you have a right to uh, the the ability to have uh, medical treatment and be able to afford it, which was the claim, um, then the government had an obligation to make sure that you could. Therefore, you had a right to health care. And that was where the, the Obamacare plan came into place. And since then, we've had the right of gay marriage. We've had the right of sexual expression. We've had the right of now gender uh, expression. So more and more rights, even though they're not enumerated in the Constitution, even though the, the founders would never have given those rights uh, or acknowledged the existence of such so-called, and I say this with air quotes, rights, um, we are seeing a growing number of them being acclaimed by certain political sociopolitical parties within our nation. So what happens? Well, you've got the right, you know, you have the, the right of to express, uh, you know, practice your religion, but hey, if your rights are, uh, are stopped by the fact that you're infringing upon another's rights, well, now you have this ability to claim that the right to the freedom of religion, it has limitations because it's impacting others. And so that's what you're beginning to see, I believe, is you are watching the world at large trying to heap up uh, this ideology, these this worldview that 
all these other rights are equal or even superior to uh, the right of uh, the freedom of religion. And what you are then seeing is them beginning to define what is religion. What is the acceptable practice of religion? And so anything that is contradictory to the current zeitgeist, the, you know, the worldview of the day, is going to be determined to be that's not an acceptable practice of religion. And so from there, what happens is, oh, well, Jesus was a, a teacher of love, and love is the overriding factor of everything. And if you love people, we get to define what love means, by the way, not scripture. The world gets to define that. So if you love people, you're going to affirm them. You're going to allow them to do certain things. You're not going to kill animals. You're not going to spank your kid. That debate's still going on. Just watched that on Twitter the other day. Um, by the way, sparing the rod, that was a physical instrument. That was a a, a form of physical punishment. And for those of you who like to say, by the way, although it says his rod and his staff comforts him. Yes, the shepherd had a rod by which he brought the sheep to him physically. Uh, that rod was not simply a form of discipline. It was a physical instrument that could be used to physically discipline or uh, to rein in and uh, control and, bring, you know, and, and comfort and protect. So watch that debate just happen just uh, two days ago, two days ago, I think. But you're watching anything that is contradictory to the sensibilities of the world is deemed not an acceptable practice of religion. And what is the religion that everybody says it's okay to hate? Well, of course, that's Christianity, because it's certainly not okay to say that someone is a fake Muslim. It's certainly not okay to say you're a fake Hindu. It's certainly not okay to say you're a fake atheist. Um, however, uh, you're a fake humanist, but it is okay to say you're a fake Christian, because God's word is clear on these issues. There's no way of really messing with that unless you have a predetermined agenda, which a lot of leftists and a lot of progressive Christians, and I say that again with air, with air quotes, progressive Christians try to do. They try to muddy the waters of scripture. So what are we seeing? We're seeing the effort of those who have certain sensibilities, certain agendas in mind, certain things that they don't like, and certain things that they approve of. And they're saying that Jesus would approve of because Jesus is love. Jesus is a teacher of love. God is love. Therefore, you must love what we love. Rejecting all of uh, everything that the world has to, uh, that God has to offer in his word and accepting everything that the, word ha the world ha uh, loves. So that's where you're going to see that. Now, why is that important? And we've done a program on this before. Who determines uh, what is the what the Bible says? Is it the world or is it the is is it the Word of God itself? Clearly, it is not the world. The world is it and is it war with God? It is at enmity with God. We you cannot be friends with the world and be a friend of God. So we've done a program on that. Uh, I, you know, basically, you can go into Podbean, you can go on to Apple, and and or you can go to our website plug it into the search engine and you can look up uh, the you know who you know who determines uh, what is the Christian faith I think was the title something to that effect and give you a little bit better treatment on that but the Word of God is what defines the Christian the Word of God is what tells you as a Christian what you are to believe what do you are to do who you are to love how that what that love looks like God is love yes but why how is that love manifested that while we were what? yet sinners Christ died for us. What does that mean, yet sinners? That we were disobedient to the word of God. We rejected his word. We rejected his rule. We chose ourselves as king and we lived in rebellion to him. 
That is what it means that while we were yet sinners, we embraced everything the world had to offer. We embraced uh, sexual immorality. We embraced lying. We embraced pride. We embraced covetousness. We embraced uh, creating an image of God in our own eyes. We embraced false worship. We embraced disobeying our parents. We did all of it, and we drank it up like water. But according to the Word of God, that put us at war with Him, and the wages of sin is what? Death. So while we were yet sinners, while we were yet in rebellion to God Himself, Christ died for us. Why did He die? Because Christ became our propitiation. He died in the place of sinners. His love is manifested in that He took upon Himself the wrath of God that sinners rightly deserve, so that he becomes sin in our place. Not he doesn't become a sinner. He becomes sin in the idea in, in the concept that God pours out His wrath on Christ as if He were all the sinning, uh, all the the sinners of mankind that He intends to save. He pours out that whole wrath upon Him. He became sin in that way. That you know. Uh, the righteousness of Christ could be put upon those whom he saves. So there's this great exchange. He becomes our propitiation. He dies in our place, taking the wrath. He gives us the the righteousness of himself so that we are seen as righteous before God. Our sin is judged at the cross. We are deemed as righteous. We are brought in and adopted as the family of God. That is how God's love is manifest. It is not manifest because we by affirming things. It's not manifest by making people feel better. It's not manifest by you know uh, boosting up people's self-esteem. Rather, it is manifest because Christ died in our place, that the wages of sin could be poured out upon Him, and we receive His righteousness. And of course, He was put into the grave three days later, rises from the grave, defeating sin and death, and giving us a, 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 the means to enter into glory. So that is the love of God. So when a person tries to tell you you're a fake Christian, understand what they are actually establishing is the mechanism by which we will one day see the world justify as a moral good the persecution of the biblical Christian. And I mean that wholeheartedly. I don't mean that as some sort of hyperbolic phraseology. I'm being very serious here. If the logic of the left, of the world at large, is to say that a Christian is somebody who just loves everyone and affirms them in everything and makes them feel better about themselves, and we reject what the Bible says, and therefore, if you as a professing Christian obey the word of God and tell people to repent of sin, you are doing what? Committing a hate crime. Because you hate people if you don't affirm them, if you don't promote them, if you don't celebrate them, if you don't think them feel better. If you don't do all the things about that the world loves, you hate them. And you, what you will see, I believe, is this is an effort to push the, um, the envelope and say that persecution of biblical Christians is a now moral good because we have to protect uh, the world. We have to protect innocent people from the hateful rhetoric of people like you and I. People who believe the Word of God to be true. And you want a taste of that, just think about the banning of what was called, uh, rep, I think, reparative therapy. The idea that you could uh, tell someone that, who did not want 
same-sex attraction, someone who did not want to be attracted to uh, you know, a man being attracted to a man, a, man, a woman being attracted to a woman, they didn't want that. So you would go to a therapist, you would go to a church, you would go to a counselor, and they would help you through this. The, the banning of that, specifically any literature that would you know, teach that, by the way, Scripture teaches that God will give us a new heart with new desires. That would be reparative therapy in the eyes of the world. Um, that is one way you see them setting that up, that they are attempting to establish as a moral good, as a social good, the marginalization of biblical Christianity by saying that's not real Christianity. Since we know what real Christianity is, you don't. Even though you have the Word of God, you don't know what it is. We, the world, who won't open a Bible, who won't go to church, we know what it is because Jesus is love. We have decided that is not a protected right. It's like yelling fire in a theater, fire in a theater, that's not protected speech. Well, biblical Christianity can't possibly be protected because it's what? infringing upon others' rights, it's hurtful of other people, it's destructive of the, of the, uh, the social mor uh, moral good, so therefore persecution will now be the accepted norm. Now, mind you, most people using that phraseology aren't thinking that way. They just hear if someone else sees someone else using it. It's kind of like the whole gas stove thing right now. If you've, I don't know if you've been paying attention to that. Um, according to the, the current administration and the Consumer Safety Board, um, gas stoves, well, somehow, miraculously, after you know decades upon decades of gas stove usage, we suddenly decided somehow that's causing asthma, and and that's actually somehow racist because it's affecting minorities. So therefore, we might need to ban gas stoves. Well, I guarantee you, nobody until the Consumer Safety Board put out this uh, put out this statement thought about gas stoves until it became fashionable to say it, and now everybody thinks gas stoves is terrible. Um, another topic for another time. But by the way, that's that's how they get you off of uh, any kind of sense of freedom is to take away from you those things that make it easy for you to provide for yourself, such as the ability to have a, a gas-powered automobile, which uh, allows you to travel, a gas stove, which allows you to be able to cook and, and, uh, and provide heat to your home. Uh, but they want you on an electrical grid, <laughs> okay? And if it's an electrical grid controlled by the government, then they can shut you down when you do things like, mm, I don't know, trucker protest. You know, shut down your trucks, shut down your vehicles, shut down your homes, shut, and, and basically starve and freeze you out. Another topic for another time, but that's really what that, I think is that is about. But that's what you're seeing happening is that, uh, that a lot of people are simply following that hashtag. They think it's they think it's cool, they think it's trendy, but they're jumping on board. And so that's what this is really about. It's attempting to marginalize biblical Christians. And cut them off from the world and say, you don't have a right to practice that because we've deemed that hateful. So when you hear fake Christian, understand this is an individual who believes you are a hateful person because you believe God. Um, stand by your, you know, st uh, stick to your gun, stand by the word of God, continue to preach the gospel to them because those are people who have no clue what the biblical truth is and they don't understand that they need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Stand firm in that because no matter what happens in this world, you have the joy of knowing that you are redeemed and adopted into the, the family of God. So how's this play out a little bit more in real time? Well, recently we talked about, in fact, it was just at the end of last year, we did our last show on New Year's Eve, and we talked one of the things about was pragmatism, about pragmatism in the church. Why is pragmatism so bad? Well, because it does exactly what we see happening with the fake Christian movement. It takes people and gives them what they think will 
uh, bring people in and put them in the seats, it'll it gives them what they want. It makes them it gives them the warm fuzzies. It it gives them uh, a, a sense that they are appreciated, that they are attracted in, that they've been. Uh, what's the best phrase I could put this, that we cared enough about them to address the things they wanted to hear rather than preaching the word of God. And so what does that do? Well, that gives people who are nominal Christians at best, and, you know, mile wide and an inch deep, you know, in, the, in their thinking, and they don't understand the word of God. They don't understand what it means to genuinely love the Lord and what it means that we cannot be friends with the world. So when you have that, when you have people who don't understand the Word of God and its depth and its breadth, and who understand the magnificence of God's redemption and how we as His followers cannot simply live in the sin that we've been saved from, then you get these churches that begin to produce people who don't understand anything about it. And those individuals, they, they go on and they, they get involved in the church and then you get you know what we call even jellyfish. You know people who have no spine, no no real bone structure, no real uh, no real meat to what they uh, who they are as as professing Christians, but they're the ones running around telling everybody, "I know what it means to be a Christian. I'm a I'm a Christian. You can't tell me I'm a Christian. You can't tell me I have to repent. You can, you know Jesus is love." And so what's interesting in that is that now in an as we continue to see the growing of this. Uh, the outworking, as I guess what I should say, of pragmatism in the church. And we talked a little bit about that last week. One of the things was, well, you know, let's produce something like The Chosen, which is total fiction, not biblical. Um, and by the way, if we, you know, to keep us from wandering off into Heresyville, we've got biblical scholars, all Roman Catholic, uh, more or less. Uh, and the people involved, some of the people involved are Mormon, also not Christian. Um, but hey, it, you can trust this. You know, it's it's a complete work of fiction, but it'll bring people to Jesus, and and that's a good thing. And then you have the He Gets Us campaign, which uh, really interesting, unbiblical, completely pragmatic, socially justice driven movement. That its whole point is to get itself on television, get itself on billboards, get itself on uh, YouTube ads or whatnot. And again, be an, a way to start a conversation about Jesus. But the things that the way it represents Jesus is nothing but social justice, Jesus. And, and it's all about he gets us. He, he was there, too. But it gives us no definition of what it means to follow Christ. It gives us no uh, definition of what it means to count the cost. It gives us no definition of what it means to turn from sin and to be a bond servant or a slave to Jesus. And so all of these efforts to attract people are nothing more than an effort to attract them on an emotional level, but do nothing to feed them spiritually and intellectually and to guide them in their walk with Christ. So if you've got none of that, what do you then have to work with? Well, you better find something. And if you're going to find something, you better find the things that are important to the world. What's important to the world right now? Oh, let's go back to what we were talking about just a few minutes ago, sexual immorality. Uh, there is a particular pastor that's been making the rounds on Twitter. I, I've i been blocked by him, so every time when y'all have uh, share this individual, I have to go to um, either the alternative Twitter account under VOR or use Google's incognito mode. I don't think I've ever interacted with him. I'm not going to repeat his name because I really don't want to give him more attention. But 
this is one of these left-leaning liberal pastors who wants to appease the world at large. And again, you're still, this is pragmatism. Even though it's, you know, liberal Christianity, progressive Christianity, which is a total made-up uh, name, because there is no such thing. It's kind of like woman pastor doesn't exist. I'm going to get letters about that, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> but the point of it is, is that these are individuals who are pragmatically attacking the Word of God, denying the the inerrancy, denying the uh, the inspiration, denying uh, the sufficiency of the Word of God, denying its infallibility, so that they can implant into it the, whatever the current zeitgeist is, as I said earlier. So this particular pastor is, is on a tear lately to try and get pastors to affirm LGBTQ plus Christians. Yeah, you heard what I said. He's actually saying, we need to do this. You, I know you know that this needs to be done. I know you're, you're secretly thinking, I've got to find a way to do this, but I'm going to be ostracized if I do. Well, I'm telling you, you need to do it. This is his shtick, and there are many other such so-called pastors out there doing it. Well, and by the way, I, I want to address one other thing once I do this, um, so hang in there for a second. You know, I'm, I'm, you know I, I shared on, on Twitter you got the evangelical fish pastor who says we need to affirm these these so-called Christians, and then there's Paul. Let me read to you what Paul wrote, First Corinthians, starting uh, in chapter five, verse nine. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So let me stop there real quick. Paul is saying, you know. Not there's a certain group of people who are sexually immoral that he does not want Christians to associate with. However, he's not talking about the world at large. In other words, the only way you could avoid all of this is kind of the uh, let's build a you know a commune in the middle of the desert somewhere and we'll have no contact with the world. Paul says that's not what I meant because you'd have to go out of the world to avoid that. So who does he mean? Well, in verse eleven he clarifies. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, in other words, a, a professing Christian, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So, Let's back this up and think about this for a little bit. So you have even jellyfish pastors who want, in a pragmatic way, an attempt to destroy the Word of God and undermine it completely, say, no, to really love, we need to affirm people who are living in absolute rebellion to God, yet still professing to be a Christian. Well, Paul says, no, you don't get to do that. You actually need to um, judge those within your midst, which, by the way, those of you say, well, yeah, who are you to judge? You're not allowed to judge. Paul himself says, this is exactly what we're supposed to do. If a person professes to be a Christian, we are to hold them to a biblical standard. And if that person lives in a manner of unrepentant sin, and by the way, and this gets into my other part of this conversation, that means that we've done what? We've done church discipline. We've taken our concerns to the, you know, to the brother and sister in Christ. We're professing brother and sister in Christ. We've told them, you're sinning. You need to stop. I'm not going to stop. I don't believe you're sin I'm sinning. How dare you? Okay, let me bring some others along. Let's also talk to you. This is an ongoing process. Okay? It is an ongoing process. 
But there's a point where if you are not repentant, if you are not heeding the word of the elders of the church whom God has appointed over you, who are taking you through the word of God, and you continue to live in this, in this way, what does he say? Purge the evil person from among you. That's strong language. That is condemning language. What it is saying is you are not in Christ. You are an evil person. Purge this person from outside the church. So you have evangelical pastors who are saying, affirm them. You have Paul saying, kick them out. Okay? You don't get to identify yourself as something God has prohibited, a sinful act that God has said no. If you say that I am a lying Christian, we would recognize that's a sin. Can't do that. If I'm a murdering Christian, uh, no. I'm a raping Christian, no, absolutely not. How dare you? I'm an LGBTQ LGBTQ plus Christian. Well, now we want to get now we want to get all squishy. Now we're afraid to say anything. Why? Because we're importing the world. We've pragmatically denied any of the Word of God because we don't want to hurt feelings. But Paul himself makes a point of saying purge the evil person from among you. He goes on further to say in chapter 6, starting in verse 9, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The people who continue to live in unrepentant sin, what are you? Unrighteous. What does he say? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So in our pragmatism, we want to say, well, we need to love these people and we need to stop hurting them because, you know, they've been, you know, they just want to live and be loved and they don't want to be hurt anymore. But God has said, if you live like this, if you live in unrepentant sin, you are unrighteous and you will not inherit the kingdom of God. The most loving thing a Christian can do is confront a person in unrepentant sin and say, you need to turn from that sin. You need to turn to Christ. You need to forsake your sin, turn to Christ and trust in him alone. And when you, once you are redeemed, you are to live a life of constant repentance from sin. Now, it's not that constant repentance that saves you. It's Christ's work on the cross that redeems us. But what is the evidence of that? See, I can, you know, the, the, the thing that saves me is God's grace. But what, how do I know a person's been saved by God's grace? The evidence of the outworking of that, that new heart with new desires, that we are living in those good works that Christ has set before, uh, before the foundation of the world for us to live in and demonstrate to the world that we are obedient and love the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, how can you say, you know, you know why do you say Lord, Lord, and, or, or why do you claim to love me? Why do you claim to follow me? And I'm being very, very, Bad Chris Honholtz paraphrase, sorry. And yet, do not do what I tell. Uh, do not do what, uh, what I command. All right. How can you say that you love me and yet be disobedient to me? Right. You cannot claim to love the Lord Jesus Christ and deny His authority over your life. If you are redeemed in Christ, you are made righteous. You have a new heart with new desires. What is then the outworking of that? seeking to be obedient and constantly living a life of repentance and turning from sin. So we cannot be deceived. The sexually immoral, the, those who practice homosexuality, along with idolaters, adulterers, uh, thieves, dr uh, greedy, drunkards, revilers, or swindlers, 
none of them who live and claim to be followers of Christ, who live in this life, in this lifestyle of sin, can be or can enter into the kingdom of God. They can be redeemed. I almost said that wrong. They can be redeemed by God's grace, but they will not enter the kingdom of God as ongoing practicers of these abominable sins. Now, the interesting part of this is verse 11. Paul says, And such were some of you. Were. Past tense. No longer a practicer of homosexuality. No longer a practical sexual immorality. No longer a practicer of adultery or idolatry or greediness or drunkenness or reviling or swindling. You no longer are. Why? You've turned from that. He says, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were sanctified, you were justified, you were set apart, you were washed, you were cleaned, and now you have turned from these sins. See, pragmatism kills. Pragmatism says um, we don't want to tell people the hard things of Scripture because it might, kind of, you know, might make them feel bad and they're going to go elsewhere. Pragmatism says live in sin. In fact, we're going to go one more. We're going to tell you, affirm you, and say you are a Christian even though you're in rebellion to God. Pragmatism kills. Biblical Christianity brings life. Because it brings us to the point of humility where we stand before Christ, we drop to our knees, we repent, we trust in Him, and we leave it all at the cross. And we turn and live in accordance with His word. Pragmatism kills, the gospel saves. And so pragmatism has, is guilty for producing this kind of worldly-inspired so-called Christianity that is also part of the reason why there are those today who can feel comfortable calling people a fake Christian. Now, there was one other thing I wanted to address. When I shared this post, and I, this is one of those things that Christians, we've got, to, we've got to be careful about how we address one another online. I shared this. I just simply made it uh, two points. I said, the even jellyfish pastors, we need to affirm LGBTQ Christians. Paul to Corinth shared the first quote. And I said, also Paul shared the second quote. Now, please, we've got to put to death this, well, you didn't explain this, or what about, how about this caveat? We've got to put that to death. Please stop. Because I had an individual who seemed to really take issue with me, and, and, and I'm sure he has the, the best intent, but he was very intent on not listening to my point and very intent about baking it, and, you know, basically saying, well, you're not talking about the church discipline aspect of it. You're just saying put them out of the church. And there are, there, are, there are a lot of pastors who do that, and I've walked away from that idea. That's not what I said. Okay, I, I just want to say that because that it was really frustrating to say to you know respond to this individual and say, yes, the passage you shared talks about we treat we don't treat people who are Christians as enemies, rather we treat them as brothers, but we call them to repentance. But when people refuse to repent, we have to put them out. That's, that's what Christ taught us. Well, and, and the conversation went from there. And again, I think this individual genuinely believed what he was doing was a good thing. But it's, it's this idea that we just got to make sure we've covered every caveat because somebody's going to get offended or somebody's going to think all you're saying is just kick people out. Let's remember that when we are posting something online, 
limitations of character length um, can sometimes play a factor. Also, there may be a specific point, like I was trying to explain to him, that there was a contrast I wanted to demonstrate. You had people who said we need to affirm, and you have Paul who says unrepentant sinners receive church discipline up to kicking them out of the church. And this particular individual just wanted to dwell on the church discipline side of it. I didn't disagree with the church discipline. In fact, you just heard me explain, because the podcast gives me more length and ability to explain these things, um, that church discipline is required. You don't just go, oh, you have, uh, you know, you have this proclivity to want to uh, feel attracted to a person of the same sex. Get out of my church. Um, no, we're not going to do that. I, I, we need to address it as scripture tells us. But when a person is trying to make a specific point, which is what Paul said, is that unrepentant sin lands a person in, in excommunication and so-called affirming pastors say, no, no, we need to love them and allow them to be called Christians. There's a huge contrast there and it's worth noting. Um, so we've got to remember to show each other a little bit of grace on this issue and quit demanding that everything be caveated to our own satisfaction, because you're never going to have it. Um, I know poor, poor Michelle Leslie over at um, uh, A Word Fitly Spoken and, and uh, michellelesley.com. One of the nicest gals I, I've ever seen in terms of addressing false teaching and specifically trying to do it for women in the church and is really like sweet Southern gal mentality and is treated as though she is the vilest, meanest person on the internet. Because, well, you didn't caveat this into 3,000 different ways to make me feel better about it. Well, number one, you can't do that. You're never going to caveat everything. So let's focus on what the point was. But number two, um, you caveat it to death, you lose the point. And that was what I was trying to you know, notify this particular individual, you are continuing to misconstrue what I've said, so I'll give you the last word and, and we'll move on. I, I guess he wasn't really thrilled with that, so he, he stopped following me, which, hey, that's your choice. It's your your Twitter. You do with what you want with it. I know there's a lot of people that don't want to listen to everything I have to say. Um, you you got you to gotta spend your time listening to things that I think will edify you the most. And if, if you don't like the things I post, hey, by all means, please do not feel the need to follow me. I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, I don't say that as some sort of sarcastic uh, slapback. I genuinely mean it. If, you, if what I post bothers you, please just remove me, mute me, block me, whatever you got to do. Um, but if we continue to demand that every post is caveated so that nothing gets missed, somebody might misunderstand, we're, we're never going to make our points. Um, you're going to have to let people make their points. So that, that was the third thing I really wanted to touch on is let people make a point when they're sharing things. Let, let them say what they're going to say, digest what they say. It's okay to ask them, hey, do you mean this or do you mean that? So you get clarification. Um, but in all honesty, um, show, some, show some charity, huh, please? So anyway, this, this whole topic, and I want to wrap things up here because I, I don't want to drone on forever with you guys. Um, is I just wanted to kind of point out, it kind of expand on a little bit what we talked about in our last uh, recorded program, that issue with pragmatism. You're watching it play out. Pragmatism has created multiple generations now of nominal Christians, people who are professing in name only but really don't possess Christ. And we can see it because they reject what the Word of God says. And 
it has been going on for so long that it has given foundation to a, a, the world to be able to dictate to the uh, professing Christian, the, excuse me, an actual possessing Christian, those of us who are Christians, those of us who believe the word of God and live by it, the world has been able to see this go on for so long and watch this nominal stuff that can be so easily manipulated by just pushing with a little bit of, you've offended me. And now they we've got all these pragmatic churches imbibing of the well, we've got to we've got to call people by their preferred pronouns. We've got to allow people to be whatever gender they choose they are, or no gender at all. We've got to you know uh, uh, lift up people who are LGBT, you know, LGBTQ plus, and and allow them to say that they're Christians. We've got to do it. We've got to love them. We've got to care for them. They've been hurt by being told they're not in the past. We've got to change that. And the world has watched that for so long that they are so comfortable now with pragmatic, spineless, gutless, wordless Christianity, Christless Christianity, that they feel that they can dictate to the church what the church is. And that's kind of where we bring it around, Robin, is that, um, or bring, bring it right back around, the, the fake Christian storyline is going to grow, I believe. It may not grow with that particular title, but the attitude behind it will. The narrative has been set. It's pushing forward. The only way I believe that we can combat this is with the truth of, of, of God. And I don't believe this. I'm actually looking at <laughs> I'm looking at Twitter right now and, and trending is Covidians. I will say this about Elon Musk, even though he hasn't really, he's really kind of wish-washed on the freedom of speech. That would have never been on Twitter in the past. Covidians, the uh, the slang term of people who were just pan panicked by COVID. That's interesting to see. I just looked over and saw that. And of course, right above that trending is Andy Stanley, who wants us to unhitch from the Bible altogether, talking about pragmatism. Uh, I, I need to not look at that. I'm getting distracted again. <laughs> so sorry, folks. It's easy for... This is why I have to have Rich here. He keeps me on track. So... Please understand, the only way you're going to combat this is with the Word of God. I know there is a lot of discussion about fighting the culture war, Christ or chaos, uh, the the um, Christian nationalism, There's the we can reclaim the culture. I think there are things in that that I can agree with. I don't wholeheartedly as ascribe to it. And the reason for that is, is that the only thing that changes the wicked heart that tells a Christian, you're not a real Christian. I don't know anything about the Word of God, but I know you're not a real Christian. The only thing that changes that is God's Word. It is the Gospel. It is the Holy Spirit penetrating that rock-hard heart, regenerating that person, bringing them to faith, repentance and faith, and making them a new creation. And the only way that happens, the Scripture is clear, it is the proclamation of the Gospel by Christians. Okay? And that's how you combat this. And the truth of the matter is, we may never win this on the social scene. Okay, we we may never win this on the in the cultural wars. We may one day become like the UK. We may become one day even worse. We may be like a China. Okay, maybe not China. Maybe like Canada and uh, New Zealand and <laughs> and um, and Australia with a police state where they just tackle you in the streets and strap a mask on you and, and, you know, push you back into the, your 1984 prescribed line and say, you know, 
go love Big Brother. Maybe we see that. If that happens, we still have Christ. We still have the Word of God. We still have the joy of knowing that we are redeemed, we are adopted, we are saved, that one day all of this burns up. All of this is destroyed and there's a new heavens and a new earth and we will reside with Christ forever. That is where our joy is. We may not win this, but are we prepared for this? Pastors, are you preparing your, your congregations for the onslaught of the world telling them they're not a real Christian? Are you preparing them, stealing them in the word of God to respond rightly? Or are, is the only thing that we have a bunch of quips and memes and, and bullet points that we can throw out on Twitter to own the conversation, so to speak, to make the, 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 the phony baloney, I'm a real Christian because I love everybody. Um, is that the only thing we've got is to own them, to own the libs? Or do we have something more? And I would argue we have something greater. We have something more powerful. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should be equipping our brethren to respond to the label of fake Christian with the gospel and with a firm grasp of scripture. So that would be my challenge to you as I wrap this up. As you see these things unfold, how do you respond? When you are called a fake Christian, how are you going to respond? Now, I'll be honest, when I see that thrown at me, I just kind of give them a, well, bless your heart and have a nice day. Because I know arguing with them in that, in that particular platform is probably not going to be very productive. There have been times when it seems like it's worth getting into a conversation with somebody and laying out the biblical gospel. I think that's wise. I think there are times when we can do that. Um, not every time needs to be a smart aleck quip. I need to control that. Um, but if, that, if that's the only thing we've got, then how are, we def how are we standing for Christ? I almost said defending Christ, but we don't need to do that. We just need to proclaim him. How are we standing for Christ? When you are, 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 are you able to withstand the onslaught of the world calling you a fake Christian? Can you stand up knowing that you have the power of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God to proclaim the truth. That would be my challenge to you this week. All right, As you begin to see this happen more and more, and I know some of you are seeing it, as you begin to see it happen more and more, are you prepared to stand and proclaim the truth? If you're not, stand down for a minute, get in the, on your knees, get into the Word of God, and steal yourself in His Word. Strengthen, be equipped, be prepared, and then go back forth and engage. But what we don't want to do is be afraid of words. Because right now, the world believes words are violence. The word that if you use words, you can hurt people. Words mean nothing from the world because they can take nothing from us. We have all that we need in Christ. So now, we, equipped with the word of God, not the world's words, but the word of God, can go back out and do battle spiritually and proclaim the truth. Do that this week. Get on your knees and, 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 and ask God, help me know what I am supposed to know about being a Christian. Help me to understand your word. Help me to be equipped to respond to the slings and arrows. Help me to respond with truth. Steal my spine, Lord. Strengthen me. You know, Give me uh, confidence in the word. Not in myself. I don't need self-confidence. I need confidence in the word. 
And then, Lord, equip me to go forth and speak the truth. I think that if we do that, that is a testimony. No matter what happens culturally, no matter what happens socially, that is a testimony to the Word of God and its impact in the life of a Christian. That we are not scared, we are not worried about being called a fake Christian. But rather, we will stand against the pragmatism of the world. Stand against the pragmatism of churches that have compromised. Stand against the, the assault of the, the leftists and, the, and, and those who would deny that the right of freedom of religion has any meaning to us. We don't care about those things. We care about Christ and Him crucified. And we stand upon that and we proclaim that with all authority given to us by God. So hopefully this will has been helpful to you this week. I really appreciate your patience. Please pray for Rich. He's doing better, by the way. He's not, you know, it's not like he's on death's door. Um, we always like to joke that we're hanging in there like a rusty nail, and that's that's been Rich the last couple of weeks. Uh, he had kind of a you know little bit, a couple of rough days there, but he's been been getting better, and uh, hopefully he'll be back next week. So then it won't just be me anymore. <laughs> and you won't have to hear me droning on all this time. So, uh, but be praying for him. Be praying for our families, uh, his and mine. Uh, they got to put up with us. So that's always a challenge. Uh, be praying for this program. You know, it, I, I will confess there are times when we, uh, you know, as Rich and I, you know, deal with our daily lives, just like you do, we sometimes look and go, well, should we be doing this? And that's usually a question for me. Pray, pray for us and pray for this program that we would be faithful to continue to do it as long as God would have us do it. That if this is his plan for us, that we continue to do it with faithfulness. That we would do that. That would be, if you could pray for that for us this week and pray for Rich's health, I think that would be a fantastic thing. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, email us, voiceofreasonradio at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you. I would love to hear if you had some experiences with the fake Christian uh, commentary thrown at you. What, you know, what, what are you experiencing? What is that like? Love to hear from you. I mean, maybe that'll give us some things. If you have some questions about how to respond, would love to hear that. That could make some material that we could pr put out in the show, maybe help you guys out with that. Um, but if you have any concerns, questions, like I said, give us an email, shoot us online, uh, go to slavetotheking.com. If you can't remember the email address, you go to slavetotheking.com and uh, you can just hit the contact us button and uh, you know send us a question that way. So thank you guys. Really appreciate it. If you have any thoughts about uh, programs that you would like to hear in this coming year, also get a hold of us. We'd love to hear that too. We love hearing from you guys. It's not that we need our, our ego stroked. We just want to know that we're being helpful. And if there's things that we could address, mind you, we are not. Look, this isn't Master Sim or uh, you know Ligonier or something like that. We're just two guys who love the Bible and love His Word. So there may be some topics that are kind of outside our, our reach. So if we don't cover them, it's not that we weren't interested. It just might might not be something we're really able to get into. But we still want to hear from you. Uh, we'll do what we can. Uh, but in the meantime, get a hold of us. Let us know. Pray for us. And uh, we look forward to spending time with you next week. God, uh, God willing, Rich will be back with us. And uh, you'll get to hear more of him and less of me maybe this time. <laughs> God bless you guys. Good night. We will see you then.